Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for yet another Boca Podcast episode. And I'm here with my new friend, Emma O'Brien. Emma, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. And you're talking to us from kind of the other side of the world. Where are you? I am in South Africa, so I'm very close to Johannesburg. So yes, long way away from you. You are. And and then you also mentioned too, before we started recording, that it's a little bit chilly there. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so it's winter here at the moment, and I think uh, people, including me before I moved here, think Africa's warm the whole time, and winter is actually very cold. So I'm sitting bundled up in my in my office with many layers on. <laughs> well, we hope you don't get too cold or start shivering during our conversation, but uh, thank you so much for making time for us today. And we're going to actually talk about something that we have really yet to delve into on the Boca Podcast, and that is pet photography, more specifically dogs. And we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But we normally start off the podcast with something called our tool for time or technique for time. And I'm curious for you as a photography business owner, what's something that you do on a regular basis to create space for yourself and for those around you? Okay, so I think like many of your other guests, time and time management is an issue. I I will open by saying that I do generally work seven days a week, which doesn't sound very good, but I schedule my time and my shoots and my admin work very carefully so I don't end up feeling very overwhelmed because I think it's it's easy as a business owner to to end up with too much on your plate and getting very stressed out. Yeah, um, I sure. know burnout's been a burnout's been a topic for you before with some of your guests. So I try to have at least three days where I'm at home and I'm not going anywhere so I can sit and get my admin done and just try to keep on top of all the, the back end office stuff. And then I carefully schedule shoots. You know, I can have two or three shoots a day at the weekend, but I make sure I've got plenty of time in between so I can take a break and I, I you know, turn up to each client fresh and I'm able to be creative with each, each person I'm working with. So you mentioned a few things there that I'm, I'm curious about. First of all, you said a schedule. Do you have like a daily schedule or does it vary from week to week? So I just try to, at the beginning of the week, look at what I've got to do and then look at where I can slot that in. Invariably, my Saturdays and Sundays are very full. So I try to make Monday a day at home. So if I can get everything done, I'll maybe finish at 12. Um, but it's not always not always possible. Uh, but I do make sure that I um, have got the computer switched off by five. I, I actually refuse to sit in the evening and work. That's a non-negotiable for me. So very occasionally if I'm, if I'm really busy, but I actually, it's quite important to switch off and have some downtime in the evening for me. So that's a priority. Yeah, I, I like that. And I know that everybody's schedule is a little bit different. And so maybe there are situations mm -hmm. where that kind of dogmatism can't be applied to or dogma can't be applied to a schedule. But yeah. I, the, the notion of shutting off in the evening, especially, you know, if, if you're getting you or any of our listeners are getting up at, at 
the beginning of the day and just going hard all day long, the idea of drawing yeah. that work out into the evening when mentally, emotionally, you're, you're exhausted, it probably isn't yeah. doing a lot of benefit for your business anyway. And for the sake of our health, giving ourselves that break, like you said, is, is so, so important. You mentioned photographing yeah. or, or working at least throughout the week. Is there is your business just growing? Is that what's kind of driving that day-to-day, that heavy work schedule? Yeah, I'm just, I'm very busy. So it's probably, we'll, we'll get to pricing. It's probably time for a little bit of a price increase, I think, because it has got, it has got very hectic and very busy. I think that the, the problem with self-employment is that, that it's not always consistent. So mm. you have some, some periods of time where it's quite quiet. I'm going through a very busy time at the moment, which is, which I'm very grateful for. The one thing in terms of, because it sounds like I work all the time and I do, it is important to have a break. So my partner and I do try to schedule a few days away every six weeks or so. So we totally get away from both of our businesses. We get away from the uh, zoo that we live in with all the dogs. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we need a break from the animals because yeah. there are a lot of them. Yeah. So yeah, so we just try and get away just to totally kind of de stress and and chill and have a bit of time together because he's also got a, a very hectic work schedule. So I think which is partly why I end up kind of working a lot because he's often not home. So um, it's not like I'm working and, and, and avoiding everybody. Sure. Well, you know, there's, so. there's something to be said, though, for proactively scheduling time away. And this is something, in fact, I was yep. just doing a, a workshop virtually with some photographers yesterday. And I was talking about the significance of setting aside money throughout the year for traveling, not just once, you know, the, the kind of traditional, yeah. at least in the States, kind of the traditional approach to vacation, especially for those who work in the corporate world is one week a year is kind of your quote vacation week and you get away and you can yeah. put everything into that and you look forward to that one week a year. As entrepreneurs, we should be taking advantage of the freedom and the flexibility that we can yes. have and yes. and getting away more consistently and and Part of that, of course, is setting the time aside. Part of it is setting the money aside to do so. But I, I think yep. it's so great. And it's also great. I mean, this is not technically a relationship podcast, but it's also great for the sake of relationships to get away, to to have adventures, to have new experiences together. That makes so much difference, especially yeah. in romantic partnerships. So I, I think it's wonderful that, that you do that very proactively. Tell us something kind of yep. random about yourself that most people might not know. <laughs> Should I should I say I've got I've got quite a few tattoos that nobody sees? Should I? I've just, well, I've just <laughs> I it love now. it. Everybody knows now. <laughs> surprise! Um, and then <laughs> surprise! Um, if you see a picture of me, I don't look like like I would have. So that's that's you know. You know what? I, I say this from time to time, but one of my favorite things about life are contrasts. Yeah. Where you're you're surprised you have this one side, especially when it comes to people, when you have this one side of an individual. I'm looking actually um, at the about page of one of your websites, and I'll just go ahead and mention the website um, to our listeners if you're listening, and make sure you go to dogart.co, just like it sounds, D-O-G-A-R-T.co. Um, but on your about page, I'm looking at a picture of you very professionally dressed, and I would not <laughs> guess that you have tattoos, so I love that contrast. I think that's a beautiful random fact about you. I also like listening to 90s house music, which may be worse than the tattoos. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. No, that's that's so perfect. Well, um, I mentioned earlier that you are what well, we're going to be talking about dog photography, and that is more and more your niche, your niche, your focus, what yep. you're spending time on. But talk to us a little bit about how you got into photography in the first place. Okay, so I am, I'm British. So I've been in South Africa for eight and a half years now. So I started 
in photography in 2004. I went to, to college and I did a higher national diploma. And whilst I was at college um, in doing my course, and of course we were all in the dark room still then, which is sort of very few people are, are doing now. So, right. so I started, and I always had an interest in, in photojournalism. Which was which was kind of what I, I wanted to do. Um, haven't gone down that road, obviously. But um, and then whilst I was at college, I started shooting weddings for a local studio, and I think I'd gone out and shot two, and I got paid fifty pounds for each wedding I shot on behalf <laughs> of this guy. Who you know, like really. And I shot two of them. I thought, you know what? I think I can probably just go and do this myself. So that's kind of where I started, and I think the the weddings. The, the weddings were just kind of, I think it's how a lot of people start with photography. It's sure. actually quite an easy way in. Look, I knew nothing when I started really. And then I was obviously studying at the same time. Now I have to interrupt um, you for just a second because you said mm. something interesting and, and that is, you said it's the easy way in. And I know a lot of photographers, they'd be raising their hands and say, wait, 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 easy? Is wedding <laughs> photography easy? T- tell us what you mean by that. It was just, I think maybe it's just because I, I got a bit of a rundown from this guy. And I think maybe I'd gone out on a wedding with one of the girls who was also in my class, okay. who'd shot a few more weddings than, we, uh, than me. We went out together and I kind of looked at it and thought, yeah, no, this is not really that difficult if if there's, if there's planning for it. Ah, interesting. So... I kind of obviously carefully planned out a shot list and bear in mind the weddings I was shooting, people weren't paying very much for them. So there wasn't a high expectation. So I think it was, okay. when I say it was easy, it was kind of quite easy to learn as I went, as I went along, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. But you mentioned- I was also inter- learning, sorry, sorry to Nathan to interrupt. I was oh, also no. learning on somebody else's time actually for the first few I did. So okay. I just handed the pictures over. So it wasn't really, um, wasn't really my problem to deal with anybody who was unhappy if they were. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm sure they weren't. I love it. Well, but you make you make such an important point, which is the significance of planning. You know, when when it comes yeah. to actually photographing a wedding, I, I would suggest that maybe the planning, the schedule of the day, the logistics um, are certainly one of the most complicated aspects of photographing a wedding. The other, yeah. and, and what becomes more nuanced and, and where I think wedding photographers become more talented, hopefully, is capturing mm. the, the nuances, the moments, yeah. um, the in-betweens, yeah. if you will. Uh, that yeah. that becomes a whole different skill set that photographers can develop over time. But the planning makes yeah. all the difference in the world, both for the sake of the, the client's experience as well as your ability to be able to capture those images. So that's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. You you made the transition or you're, you're in fact even still in the process of making the transition to focusing more and more on photographing dogs. Talk to us a little bit about that process. Okay, so the the weddings um, that I'd, I'd shot weddings in the UK for probably for like five years or so before I moved to South Africa, and I unfortunately got divorced in in two thousand and seven. So actually, kind of really killed weddings for me. Yeah, understandably. So when I moved to <laughs> moved to South Africa, I decided I was actually totally retiring from wedding photography, and I was going to focus on portrait photography. So, which is what I came here and did, and I started to build a business here. And then I went to a, a local SPCA here, and I adopted a little dog. And I said to them whilst I was there, you know, look, you obviously need help with fundraising. I'm a photographer. What can I do? So we came up with the idea of putting a, a, ca- a fundraising calendar together. And obviously, I went out and started shooting animals and decided that, A, I really enjoyed it, and B, I had a bit of a talent for it. So, it totally happened by accident hmm. falling into dog photography really it was never it was never a plan now 
you mentioned that you moved to South Africa, but that's, that's a big move. Was it just like, Hey, I need to hit the reset button. <laughs> no, I'd got, uh, I'd met somebody else uh, after my divorce yeah. and, um, also a British guy who'd got a job here. So I kind of upped and left the UK with him to come and move here. Well, there's, there's something about making a big change like that though, that can give yeah. us a different perspective. Uh, and yeah. I wonder if that had, if that played into this move into dog photography. I mean, just that's a mm-hmm. really, really big shift going from photographing humans to photographing yeah. dogs specifically. What's it yeah. like, what made, what led to that? You said it was kind of accidental, but ultimately, of course, you had to make a choice. You know what? I'm going to go down this road. I'm going to focus on this niche. What led to that, yeah. that decision? Um, I, I really love dogs and I really enjoy photographing them. I think because it's quite a challenging thing to photograph. It's something that lots of people, well, there's that lovely adage of never work with animals or children. Uh, um, yeah. And I think it's, it's the challenge of, of photographing them and managing to get a really beautiful portrait, which makes it continually very interesting for me because no two dogs are the same um and every shoot is it's always you know always a bit of a challenge and I like being around I like being around dogs I am crazy dog lady be the first person to admit that (laughs) you mentioned that on your website too but I'm looking at this picture again of you on your about page and what's what's your dog's name there next to you so that is Victoria who's with me there. Victoria looks like she's smiling beautifully too. I, I love how her personality yeah. kind of shines through in the image. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, she's a little bit of a cheeky one is Victoria. She's very naughty. <laughs> well, how do you how do you ultimately get the the word out that you know what I'm I'm transitioning my brand and maybe being in the new market made it easier to do this, but how do you communicate to potential clients or get the word out? I say I think this is more of a marketing question at this point. How do you market yep. dog photography to the potential market? Is there a, a really incredible opportunity there in that market to photograph pets? Was this a new idea to the market? Um, the so so how I kind of started building my reputation with dog photography in South Africa is after after adopting my little SPCA dog and, and shooting the calendar. I started to obviously started to get commissions from people to, to photograph to photograph dogs. Um, and then I also started going to a few shelters and photographing dogs that were waiting to be adopted. Oh, lovely. And taking them out of their kind of quite sad shelter environment and shooting beautiful portraits of them, which really captured their characters. And of course, what happened was that people started to know about me from actually my my volunteer work that I did because the pictures would be shared on Facebook and kind of word got around that way with it. So it was never my intention to set out and go, oh, I'm going to do charity work because it's great marketing because, you know, I'm not like that at all. It's, it's just, it's kind of how it happened. So it's kind of built from, it comes from a place of sort of making a difference that has yeah. actually then really expanded my, expanded my reputation. Would you say, and I know there's kind of a fine line here when we're talking about, as you alluded to, in fact, doing charity work and not expecting it to make a difference in, in marketing your business or building your business. But at the same time, you know, there's a conversation around um, photography, the, pho- the photographic industry, as to whether or not to charge or not charge, especially when you're getting started and you want to build a portfolio. I find it interesting yep. that you were doing work that, were, that you weren't charging for, that you were volunteering your services, but that that ultimately translated to business. Can you comment on that? What are your thoughts on, on photographing for free, if you will? 
so I think in terms of of charities, it's it's good to be to be photographing for for free for them. What I did with and any free, I don't often do kind of other pro bono stuff, but anything I do do, I make sure that I've got my logo on the pictures that go online, so people know who took the picture. Because I think in terms of the fact you've given your time for free, you do deserve to get some sort of recognition and, and coverage for it. Right. I I think when you're starting out and building a portfolio. Portfolio shooting for free is one thing, but I'm of the opinion that for clients in general, free has no value. So I think for anybody, even even kind of beginning, you've got to charge some sort of shoot fee so that people do do have a slight investment in what you're in what you're doing. So I think it's very easy if you're offering a free shoot for people to cancel or make no effort. So true. So I think it's there is a fine line and I, or I think if you decide you're going to do some free shoots to build a portfolio, you put a limit and you say I'm going to do 5 and then after that that's it. Because otherwise you'll be shooting for free forever. That's good. Well, there again we're talking about the idea of planning. Um, actually yeah. having a, a a plan in mind, especially when it comes to this idea. I mean, ultimately, we're we're trying to build a business. And in order to do so, we need to generate a little bit of revenue. But I, I like the fact yep. that you point out that, that clients will or potential clients will not value our work as much if there isn't a price tag associated with it. Because yeah. these days, I mean, I have a hard enough time scheduling get togethers with, with friends, much less clients. Yep. If we're not actually a tight, attaching a price tag to it, it, it can certainly complicate things. So I, I love that, that point. Yeah. I'm curious though, you mentioned getting started in photography. I'm over the span of, of years that you've been photographing, what would you say has been the toughest lesson that you've learned uh, as a business owner so far? I think pricing accordingly has been a tough lesson. Hmm. So leading on from the working seven days a week that, that I have discussed, I actually had a massive, massive burnout at the beginning of 2016, like total crying on the floor, total mess. Yeah. Um, and to top it off, I then I put my back out lifting my lights into the car, which actually was a bit of a blessing because it meant I had to take a week off because I think I was wasn't charging enough. So I was overworking. Mm. Um, I had too much on my plate and it just actually, I got totally overwhelmed. And it was actually at that point that I started working with a coach. So I started working with Polly Alexander, who's been one of your previous Absolutely. Uh, guests yeah, on the show, who, who, is, who is fabulous. Yes. And actually we, we worked with rejigging my pricing. And actually what we effectively did was double my basic shoot fee. Wow. Which to me was utterly terrifying because I think it's, it's, we often sit in this position of being overwhelmed and overworked and kind of undervalued, but it's terrifying to change it because you think maybe if I put my prices up, all the clients are going to disappear. So it's kind of better the devil you know when you've got bills to pay. Um, and actually, sometimes you have to take a step back and go, hang on, can I continue like this? Um, and for me, the answer was a very definite no, because I was, I'd really, you know, got myself to the point of being very unwell. So we sat and we worked out new pricing. Um, as I say, we literally doubled my basic shoot fee, which, and we priced it accordingly that if people booked that and then didn't buy anything else, it was fine. Cause I'd been working on quite a low shoot fee and gambling on being able to upsell all of my clients, which as we know, is not always possible. Yeah, this is a really loaded conversation. And, and um, <laughs> since, since we mentioned Polly, I want to make sure that our listeners know if you haven't 
I had the opportunity to listen to Polly Alexander's uh, conversation with me on the Boca podcast. Go back to episode 107, and she actually talks about 10 different ways that our photography business is losing money. And it's, of course, extremely relevant to this conversation here. It, it's a tough thing to, to bump our prices up and risk that, that potential loss of client base, um, because not only are we... Uh, we're kind of taking ourselves out of a market. Now we have to build uh, our business within a new market. I mean, I did this time after time after time as a wedding photographer. And unless you have a really strong network, um, that can be a really difficult thing, particularly as a wedding photographer. Yeah, it was quite interesting. So I, I put the prices up and then I sat for six weeks with no bookings. Wow. Which was terrifying. Yeah. What's going through your mind as you're sitting there thinking about this? Going through, what's going through my mind is I've just ended my business. What the hell have I done? Yeah. What am I going to do? I might have to get a job. And I think I've been out of the employment line for so long. You know, what am I going to do? So actually it was total panic. And then I kid you not, literally after six weeks, I had one day where I had three inquiries and they all booked at the new pricing. And at that point you think, okay, cool. And one of them actually <laughs> One of them actually included a previous client who'd worked with me kind of maybe two years before. So for her to be presented with this brand new pricing, which was massively higher than, than it was before, and for her to book and be cool, you know, we value what you do, it's fine. Um, it kind of gave me the thumbs up and, and I carried on and then it picked up from there. But, uh, but no, it was, it was awful. It was really nerve wracking. But it was the best thing I ever did because what happened was then I ended up with less work and more and more income. And then actually you then end up qualifying better clients yep. when you when you have a, a, a higher a higher fee to start with. For sure, for sure. Well, you know, this this reminds me of something that we've talked about here on the podcast, but it, it does not hurt to repeat it. And that is the significance of working intelligently. You know, we talk a lot about working efficiently here at the Boca Podcast. Uh, but in conjunction with that, working intelligently, part of working intelligently is charging prices, as you're pointing out, Emma, that enable you to, first of all, reach your, your personal and, of course, business financial goals, but also help yep. minimize burnout. Because, you know, in this, yep. this culture right now where you see hashtag hustle uh, or some variation of it <laughs> out there, this, this kind of obsession with working hard, it, it's a good thing to a point. Um, but just simply being busy... Uh, almost haphazardly running our businesses versus very proactively running our businesses with certain goals in mind and pricing yeah. accordingly. It's two different things. And we have to make yes. sure that we create that differentiation, not only for the, the sake of the health of our business, but also for our own personal health. That's so absolutely yeah. vital. Yep. Absolutely. No, I, t I totally agree. And I think having, having had uh, working with a, a coach was a big help with that to have somebody else who was able to be quite objective about what I was doing. Because I think often this, this road as a, you know, as a photographer, if you're working for yourself, it's quite lonely because you, you, you don't necessarily have other people to, to chat to about it. And I think photographers can be quite cagey with each other about who's charging what and, so to have that kind of outside help was was really made a huge difference for me. 
It's true. And you know, and there, there is something too about our photography industry. I mean, as wonderful as it is, especially again, in the, in the American side of the industry, I'm not sure what it might be like in South Africa, but there is a tendency of just kind of coddling and, and, you know, you rock and you're awesome and that's great. And, and there's all this encouragement, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, from time to time, we need somebody that can come in and intelligently give us constructive criticism uh, and again, yep. that speaks to the significance of having a coach like you talked about. We'll make sure to link to Polly's website in the show notes. For those of you listening in, do make sure you go uh, visit her, her website as well as take a listen to the uh, the podcast episode, episode 107. I want to kind of transition, go a little bit d- different direction here. I'm curious what is in your gear bag and maybe if there is a difference now about the equipment that you're just obsessed with that you really love versus when you were photographing weddings. So I've actually, I'm very boring. I haven't actually changed my the equipment I use at all. So I use, a, I've got a Nikon D810 yes. and I shoot most of the time with um, the Nikkor 24 to 70 2.8 lens. And I've got, and I, and I trot around with a, a big reflector with me when I'm on location. And then I've got a, I've got a little studio at home. So I've got some Bowen's lights that I use there but I just try and keep it I try and keep it very simple especially working with dogs and I'm often so whilst I do kind of photograph dogs on their own I am finding myself more and more commissioned to photograph people people's children so newborn shoots and maternity shoots because they have dogs so for them because I like working with dogs it's quite a big pull for people that they can have their dogs included in a shoot so um I find it that the simpler I can keep the equipment, the better, because invariably you're kind of moving around quite a lot. Yes. And then I've also got an 85 mil um, Nikkor lens that sits as a as a spare. I actually don't use it very often because when I'm in in people's houses indoors, it's actually not very practical. So, so it's the 24 to 70 all the way, really. Sorry, I, sorry, it's not more of an exciting. Um, exciting reply not at all no i i think this highlights something that we've talked about here on the podcast before but again can't be emphasized enough and that is the importance of simplicity or minimizing the number of moving parts in our business you know we we have so much to keep up with as photography business owners and it's easy again to kind of go into that reactive mode just trying to keep our head above water trying to run our businesses the less that we have to keep up with, even down to the photographic equipment, the more that we can focus on what's actually important. And in your case, I mean, that 24 to 70 gives you such a lovely range and it yep. gives you flexibility, especially with the wide, because I can imagine these dogs are moving around quite a bit. And so you can't yeah. just say, hey, stay right there and let me <laughs> photograph you for a second. Um, you've got to have some flexibility there. But now you don't have to think about yep. changing lenses and doing this thing and grabbing yep. that camera body and you're just keeping it simple yep. and you're focusing on the task at hand, which is capturing these dogs. And I think that's a wonderful example of how simplicity can actually enable you to be a yep. better photographer. I think that's lovely. Yeah. And I tend to, because I'm I'm shooting kind of quite front on portraits a lot of the time, I'm quite close to 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 my subject. So that's why also that lens is great because then you're not kind of having to to run away um to with a with a great big telephoto lens to um to get them all in shot. So so that's quite nice because the the work I do is quite interactive. So it's important for me not to be too far away from from everybody I'm working with. 
Absolutely. No, I, I can I can imagine that. My my former business partner would photograph kids and do these these kind of lifestyle yep. family sessions, and that twenty four to seventy. Uh, was certainly a favorite just because, again, of that flexibility and the, you know, yeah. moving around constantly and kind of chasing the kids around. It, it, it gives you the flexibility yeah. <laughs> that's necessary. And I think that's that's really important. So photographers listening in, simplicity, it's it's a wonderful thing. Just try it. Try it. You know, if, yep. if you we're talking about the idea of, of kind of proactively running our business, having certain goals in mind and running our business accordingly. And the cool thing about having that big picture view is the phrase that I've talked about in the podcast before having an idea of where you're going with your personal life and how that translates to your business then enables you to filter out the stuff that's not absolutely necessary to your business. And and again, that can apply even to something like photographic equipment. Uh, Be really clear about what you're doing. Get rid of the stuff that's not necessary to support those goals and your life and business will be all the better for it. I think this is a lovely example. Thank you for that, Emma. What what would you say are the biggest differences between, um, and this may be kind of a funny question, but between photographing humans and dogs, what's that experience been like? Okay, so well, aside from the uh, physical differences, (laughs) (laughs) so I think the one thing um, that's quite challenging is getting dogs to follow instructions. So the dogs I work with vary from being very well trained to not very well trained at all. So it's trying to, and then obviously I have to tell the human that comes with the dog to, this is what I would like you to do with your dog. And then they've got to try and kind of get their dog in the position in a sit, stay or what have you. So I think the the number one thing is getting dogs to follow instructions can be um, a little bit of a challenge. I'm sure uh, we can all relate to sometimes getting people to follow instructions can be difficult as well. It's so true. You know, (laughs) and you, when you, it reminds me, have you ever seen the, the original 101 Dalmatians, the Disney movie? Yeah. I, when, when they kind of change the perspective, I love the kind of first person perspective from the dog where the dog is talking about the human as their human. Um, you got to wonder what conversation is going on inside the dog's head as you're photographing, like what's this person doing crawling around on the ground or running after chasing after me, trying to get a picture of me. Um, I, yeah. I, I just love that. I love that picture. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. T- tell us an, another difference. Okay, so the other thing um, that, that kind of is a bit of a challenge is the fact that dogs have a very short attention span. So it is very similar to photographing small children. Mm. You've got to kind of keep it interesting for them and work efficiently because you've invariably got a, a period of time whereby they'll they'll be alert and they'll keep looking at you and it'll be interesting to them. And then after a while, they'll get to the point where they're like, you know, okay, we're bored now. So one has to work quite efficiently to to make sure you get nice interactive photographs Absolutely. of them. Um, and I think the last thing that that I would say is lighting. I tend to make sure the dog portraits I take are quite evenly lit and the dogs are lit sort of front on because unlike human faces where you can side light and it looks beautiful, you actually can't do that with dogs because especially, you know, I mean, squishy face dogs may be a little bit more, but <laughs> you end up with, you can't kind of have one half of their face in shadow because sure. it looks very odd. And you've also got to be careful of how much shadow their nose is cast over their, their neck mm. as well. So you don't lose detail underneath. So it's a little bit of a, a, a different one in terms of the, the lighting challenge. And did you learn some of these techniques that you're speaking to? Because that's a detail that I sure, certainly wouldn't have thought of. These types of, of technic, the, the technical aspects of photographing dogs, was this something that you just learned over time? Were you reading books, looking at websites? How did you learn these things? 
Um, I think it's sort of because I've, I've got uh, obviously spent quite a lot of time photographing people beforehand. My knowledge of of lighting is pretty good. I won't say I'm any sort of expert, technical expert, but my knowledge of lighting is pretty good. So for me, especially with with dogs, you can kind of obviously if you're outdoors, you can kind of see what the lighting's doing. And in in studio, I guess it was a little bit trial and trial and error, um, but it was just a sort of natural progression from from photographing people. So I can't say there's anywhere specific I picked that up. It's just it's just kind of happened along the way. Sure. Well, and, and ultimately just paying attention. You you photograph yes. it the way that you photograph humans or people, and that that doesn't work. So you make some adjustments, and and um, that just speaks to a little bit of self awareness. And and it, it takes some time sometimes to. I think for our listeners, it's a good thing to take some time and analyze their work. Um, yeah. Look through and see. Look for ways that they can continue to improve. And this this can come from, of course, comparing your work with with other photographers but i think there's a healthy line to be drawn even in that too awareness though especially when it comes to lighting is so so important and uh, i love your attention to detail in that what what would you say is the most difficult aspect of of photographing dogs so it is the leading on from the following of instructions um i think it's it's getting them to do exactly what you what you want so for general client shoots i'll chat to clients and, and and sort of see what it is they, what it is they want from their shoot, what they're kind of expecting, whether they want studio or location or at their home. So then it's quite easy to go with a with a loose plan. I tend not to try, try not to plan dog shoots too much. You can go with a plan and then kind of work within the parameters of that, depending on on how the dogs are and what happens. But as a, I shoot magazine covers for for a magazine called Canine Zone here, and obviously for a dog magazine cover, the remit is kind of front on. Uh, looking at camera. So I had a shoot recently with with a bull terrier and uh, she was brought through to the studio and it was for a Valentine's Day, um, it was their Valentine's issue. So I'd made this lovely backdrop with colorful paper fans and I got it all set up and I knew kind of in my mind what it was going to look like. And we could not get this dog to sit still (laughs) in front of the backdrop. Yeah. At all, she'd sit next to me. She'd sit behind me, <laughs> or if she did kind of sit there, she'd be slightly sideways on. And um, and actually, after forty five minutes with this shoot, I oh, thought wow. I actually think I'm going to have to can this yeah. because I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure I'm going to get the shot. So and then I kind of thought, you know, actually, I'm not going to be beaten by this. I've never had a dog shoot that I've had to kind of can you know so sure. um so actually luckily my my boyfriend was at home so I, I came out and I said to him can you please come and help me with this dog so in he came and actually in the end we had to position Luca in front of the backdrop Alfred had to sort of lie on the floor next to her with one hand just under her chest and one one on her bottom to hold her in position <laughs> and then eventually we managed to get her to just put her ears up and, and get the shot because anybody who knows bull terriers will know that they often sit with their ears back and they look like seals. <laughs> like so, seals, okay. <laughs> which is not really the uh, the look we're going for right. on a magazine cover. So right. we eventually got this shot, but I think that was probably the most challenging thing. But, you know, that was because I'd sat with this particular shot in mind mm. and I kind of didn't have very much flexibility with it. And I think the thing with dogs is they are, um, you know, they're their own little creatures and you actually kind of have to sort of work around them for the most part. So... 
That's, that's but it interesting. worked out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. And, but it's interesting too, to me, to, to kind of hear the dichotomy between what you emphasized earlier, which was logistics and planning, especially when it comes to wedding photography versus photographing dogs and just being okay with going with the flow. Um, understanding yeah. that you can't plan too much when you've got this this four-legged furry friend of yours kind of that, that I mean it sounds so adorable the idea that the dog is sitting next to you and behind you I mean do you do you have a hard yeah. time actually getting mad at the dog when they just look so cute it's not like they're you know like photographing kids where they're screaming at you or something <laughs> no I think kind of I think it was just um it was just because I'm like really new to get this shot that yeah. uh, look I'm very patient with dogs and actually I think it's very fun when they come and they want to lick you and sit on you and um it's actually often it's worse trying to communicate to the dog owner what you want because hmm. this poor woman was apologizing to me about oh. the dog and I'm like it's fine really it's fine but we need to actually we need to get her over here you know yeah. so um but yes it's very hard to get mad at dogs because they you know they, they they don't really understand what's expected of them especially when they've been brought to the studio and it's a new environment and, and sure. things so sure well I, I have to emphasize here the fact that you're able to go with the flow speaks to your technical ability as a photographer. And, you know, as a wedding photographer or a portrait photographer, you do have to be practiced in your craft in order to then be in the moment and be able to go with the flow, make sure that you've got the, the technical aspect down. So in the moment that you can just go with the flow and capture what you can as necessary. And that speaks to your technical ability. And I think that's really important for our listeners to keep in mind. What would you say is the, the most rewarding aspect of photographing pets or more specifically photographing dogs? Okay, so um, aside from if you've got like quite a challenging dog and you manage to get a, I managed to get a good shot. That's that's a lot of fun. And then presenting clients with the the end product and and having them being super happy because you've got beautiful pictures of their dog. That's great. Um, but I think one thing that I find very rewarding going back to the shelter dog photography is when I photographed a dog that's sitting at a shelter waiting for a home and I get a message from the person who's adopted the dog to say, thank you so much. I wouldn't have known about this dog if I hadn't have seen the picture you've taken. And now here, here he is on my bed. And I think that for me is incredibly rewarding and that makes me very, very happy. I had a, a lovely message like that a couple of days ago. And I think it just kind of reiterates the the importance for me of of kind of doing the, the the voluntary dog photography if you like it's it's you know it's it's um it's an extracurricular thing for me but it just actually being able to use my skills to give back is is wonderful for me so um so yes I think that's the most rewarding aspect of it I love that and I, I think it would be good for all of us in some way to find a way to give back you know to to give to um, some type of movement that that has a bit of a deep, deeper meaning than just simply photographing a session for the sake of putting some more money in, in the bank. Um, and, yeah. I, and I love that that's been an emphasis for you and your business. But then, of course, the, the, the beautiful thing is, even though you're not trying to, it becomes a benefit for your business. Yeah. And there's yeah. kind of a, a beautiful chemistry in that. And, and that's really, really lovely. One of the things that I know that you you like to focus on when it comes to capturing dogs is the personality, their character. And this is something we would normally talk about, of course, when it comes to photographing people. But uh, why is this so important to you? And, and what does that look like to try to capture the personality of a dog? 
So I think if you have a look through my work, both of dogs and people, um, the my pictures have quite a lot of energy and vibrance to them because I you'll see pictures with people laughing and kind of generally having a good time. So for me, those are the, the it's capturing that energy. So I've tra- I've kind of translated that into the dog photography by making sure that the the portraits I get, I've got dogs looking kind of straight into camera, and wherever possible, they've got ears up and they look quite animated because I think for most dog owners we enjoy it the most when we chat to our dogs and they kind of they look like they're responding to you yeah or they're listening and they're listening very carefully to you um the magic word in my house is biscuits would you like a biscuit everybody looks very excited about that so uh, (laughs) hey I would look excited um, about that (laughs) just not biscuits that I've baked fair enough um, shop shop bought biscuits um so, so for me, it's kind of, it's translating that into photo shoots with other people's dogs. Yeah. So, which is sometimes easier said than done. My, my kind of techniques for doing that are to make sure we've got snacks on hand because invariably dogs will respond to food. And for dogs that like toys or balls or that kind of thing, then we'll use that. I've also got a really brilliant app on my phone called Dog Sounds, which I just downloaded from the app store, which has got a whole host of lovely noises that dogs enjoy. So dogs barking, squeaky balls, cats, that sort of thing. So invariably playing those or, or, and waving snacks has the um, desired effect to get dogs looking animated and, and very happy. And is this, I mean, do you find yourself kind of multitasking then? Are you holding that your, your phone with the <laughs> app playing in one hand and the camera in the other and trying to grab the picture? Sometimes, yes. I mean, invariably, if I can, if you can get um, a dog sitting and get their owner far enough away that they can kind of hold stuff above the camera lens for me, that's great. But yes, I kind of feel like sometimes I need an extra couple of arms (laughs) to to try and. um, So yes, so it is a little bit of a, it is a bit of a, a multitask. And actually, you have people kind of say after a dog shoot when they see the pictures. Um, they're always quite thrilled and surprised at the pictures they see because they'll say to me, well, I didn't think we got anything because the shoot was like total chaos. Yeah. And you say, well, you know, it's <laughs> It's just about kind of being able to discern when to take the picture and to make sure you kind of, you, you shoot quite a lot of, a lot of pictures as well during a shoot. So. Sure. Sure. Well, and again, it speaks to your talent. And for those of you listening in, and again, if you if, if you didn't hear Emma's website earlier, make sure you go to dogart.co. And just as a side note, Emma, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, but you have a secondary website as well, Emma O'Brien. We, we talked a little bit about, or just mentioned briefly earlier, the transition from uh, people photography, if, if you will, to focusing more and more on dog photography. Can you just talk to us briefly about that transition, what that looks like? Because I know many photographers can relate to the idea of focusing on one genre and then wanting to go to another one. What does that look like for you and how are you going about that process? So um, the emmaobryan.com website has been my main portraiture website and it's got things like my kind of maternity and newborn personal branding and it's got the dog photography on there. But I decided at the end of last year that actually where I want to be going is is really just photo, just focusing on photographing dogs and, and the people that kind of belong to them. But yeah. so I thought kind of the best thing to do is to set up a separate website, which I've done, which has just got this is dedicated to the, to the dog photography. So, but I'm not quite brave enough yet to transfer the emmerobrian.com <laughs> domain over to the over to the dog photography site. So, I think that's kind of a work in progress, if you like. It's almost like I'm kind of 
I'm a little bit worried to cut it off because I don't want to totally stop doing people photography. So I think it's just how I work out kind of what I do with with that. So it's just a bit of a work in progress. But I think it's also what I wanted to do is kind of build content on the dog art website and start getting that out there before I I change the other one. And um, I probably will keep the other one, but I'll I'll put it as a you know, a, a local domain here and then transfer the dog one to emmaobryan.com because I kind of have built my reputation as the person who photographs dogs. Well, th- there's something to be said for specialization. We've talked about it on the yeah. podcast before. It can be a bit nerve wracking to take that leap. Um, yeah. But I have to give you props for for making that effort and making that transition because, you know, especially when it comes to creating a, a niche and, and marketing your business, it makes it so much easier if you can say very specifically, this is what I do versus I specialize yeah. in, you know, these five different types of photography. And I've heard photographers say yeah. that kind of thing before. And it becomes confusing for, for somebody who is not a photographer. For example, I'll speak to the wedding industry again, because that's what I was most familiar with. But we go to a networking mm-hmm event and there might be three or four other photographers there along with other vendors from the industry and those photographers would say just that you know I specialize in and then they'd list three four five different types of photography and of course that's not really truly specialization and then to to the the non-photographer listening in they're looking at this photographer and they just all they see you know there's this I can almost picture this label above them that just says photographer there's no distinction between this photographer and that photographer the fact that you can say I specializing I specialize in photographing dogs I mean, there's, there are not a lot of people that can say that. And so I love that you're making a further effort at that distinction. And I'm sure it'll make all the difference in the world for your brand. And it's, it's, it's a really, really impressive thing. Yeah, I see. It's a little bit scary, but um, but I've also started branching the business out into working internationally as well. So I've just been in London recently, where I've I've done some some dog shoots, which was lots of fun shooting dogs in a in a in a in a new city, if you like. So obviously, I'm from the UK, but um, but being able to spend time in London, running around with with people and their dogs there was was awesome. Um, so for me, that's kind of the next step. So. I think that's probably the the antidote to to the to getting rid of the portrait photography website is just to keep going in the dog direction in a in a in a bigger way if you like. So it kind of opens the market up so I'm not just limiting myself to to the local market. Uh, well I'm um, I'm extremely impressed by this and and uh, we've certainly got your back. We're cheering you on. Go for it. Just just thanks. go all the way with it. <laughs> but you know this this kind of begs a, a last question which is if our listeners are, are interested in getting into this market, because I, I would say, and, and maybe you can speak to this, but I would say that this is still a relatively new market, that the idea of paying money to hire somebody to, to, to come photograph your pet is, it does, it seems a bit of a, use the word luxury earlier, and I think it's a good word. Yes. Uh, but yep. I, I think there's a wonderful business opportunity there for more yep. photographers to get into the market. How would they most effectively go about that? Or more, maybe more specifically, you talked about capturing personality. How would they more effectively learn how to capture that personality of a dog and begin to photograph pets? So I think you've got to you've got to love pets and you've got to love dogs to actually branch out into into photographing them for for a start. But I guess you know you you kind of probably wouldn't go down that road if you didn't. And I think the I'm just trying to because they say for me it, it happened quite organically and really by accident. So it wasn't you know much as we've been talking about planning and scheduling. It it, it was kind of it, it fell into my lap if you like. Sure. 
Um, so I think there are, for anybody looking to get into the market, there are so many kind of dog clubs. There are an awful lot of shelters that need photography and there are all sorts of kind of vet and pet shops. And there's lots of places where you can kind of start marketing your work and building a network. Because I think the thing with what's made it successful for me is building that network up. So obviously through the, the shelter photography I did, I got to know people. And, you know, obviously people who are involved with animal welfare generally have millions of animals and also have lots of friends who have animals. So it kind of, it, the kind of net kind of cast itself if you like. So I think it's it's much like getting into baby photography or, or any kind of niche that you choose to go into. It's just kind of networking with, with suppliers and other similar complementary businesses that, that, that can then start to do referrals for you as well. I've got one of my friends has a dog blog and she's also got um, a dog accessories company. And then I've, I've kind of made friends with someone who makes dog treats. And so it kind of goes, it goes from there. So I've just sort of built this lovely, lovely network up and it's just expanded. Well, it, it speaks to the importance of, of, again, first of all, making yourself available, but then the significance yeah. of connections can never be minimized. And whether that happens through social media or in person, and, and I would suggest both should happen, there is yeah. something to be said for making connections. And I can, I, I mentioned my, my former business partner earlier, uh, but she focusing on lifestyle, baby photography and family photography that that business essentially launched through a connection with somebody in the local market who was connected to yep. a, a bit of a higher end uh, client bracket. And mm-hmm. um, just the, the initial referral led to the first shoot, which then, of course, that person's connected to other people in this market. And, and they kind of they're, they're keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. They also want yep. in on that. They want some of that style of photography. And that led to a, a very successful um, lifestyle uh, photography business for her, but the significance yeah. of connections can can never be minimized, and that's yeah. something to be to be considered, especially for those who, uh, who are just getting started as photographers. But when it comes to photographing pets, I mean, you mentioned earlier using snacks and toys, and and we'll even link to the dog app. Is is it just called Dog Sounds? That's just what it's called. Yeah, it's just dog sounds. I think there are, and I've got it. There's another one. Um, there's another one by by somebody called Whamsy. So if so, if you go onto the app store, I think there's quite a few. So this one I've got is literally just called Dog Sounds, and there's a picture of a little Labrador puppy on on the app okay. icon. We'll link to that in got, the show notes for sure. Yeah, see if you can find it. It's got kind of barking of small dog barking, big dog barking, dogs whining and and squeaking, and it it generally does the trick. Well, um, in addition to these tricks, speaking of, are there any other ideas that photographers should keep in mind if they want to more effectively capture the personality of a dog or a pet as a subject? Okay, so I think the, the first thing is to is to be very, you've got to be very patient because um, as we found out with the dog with the magazine shoot, um, they don't always know what you expect of them and they're not always prepared to cooperate. So sometimes you just have to kind of leave them for a while to settle down. They might plonk themselves in a spot where you can you can take a picture because some dogs do get a bit anxious, especially if they're somewhere new. So it kind of you've got to kind of work on an individual basis with them. Snacks and treats are always a win. You're going to have dogs who are your friends if you take them something they like to eat. Yeah. And then in terms of getting good dog portraits, I think all the rules of human portraiture apply. I always make sure I'm sitting on the same level 
as dogs because mm. um, invariably if you've got them at kind of eye level you're going to get a better a better shot but I think that also applies for children and and things as well so sure. so yes there's a, a few things I wouldn't say there's anything kind of in particular that I could say differentiates it massively it's just one has to be patient and have a sense of humor <laughs> that's that is fair well yeah that sense of humor enables the patients right would, would you yes. do you do consultations with the dog's owners prior to the shoot to get a feel for their personality or even more specifically the types of treats that they like um, so I, t- I speak to clients over the phone before shoots and just try and find out a little bit about their, about their dogs. And I tend to say to people to make sure they've got treats because I'm in- encountering more and more here dogs with allergies and they can't eat this. Um, so I tend not to take, not to take anything with me uh, and just tell people to get very prepped with what they've got. One of the things I've got a friend who's a dog trainer who the, the term she uses with treats is you need to have high value treats. So things like chicken or cheese or kind of cold meat are good because they're, they're really, really tasty for a dog rather than just an ordinary biscuit. So I tend to kind of advise people to have something that is really tantalizing yeah. for their animals. So we, we make sure we get, uh, we get uh, optimum cooperation. Um, <laughs> But sometimes you can get there and the snacks make everything worse because they won't sit still or leave their owner alone, you know, with a packet of snacks. So um, <laughs> you just kind of have, I just tend to go and just see what happens because there's no point being too hung up on it because it's, um, like I say, sometimes chaos ensues, especially if there's more than one dog. Yeah. Well, again, there's nothing to be, uh, nothing uh, that we can emphasize more here than than the importance of flexibility. Uh, especially yeah. when it comes to photographing these these wonderful little animals that have been referred to as man's best friend or woman's best friend. They, yeah. they really are lovely, lovely. I'm, I've had multiple dogs over the years and there is there is nothing like the experience of coming home to a dog who is just so yeah. genuinely excited to see you. Yeah. And uh, I think you're doing a beautiful job of capturing that type of personality in your imagery. Again, for those of you listening in, do make sure that you go to dogart.co, D-O-G-A-R-T.co, or Emma O'Brien, E-M-M-A-O-B-R-I-E-N.com. And then, Emma, where can we find you on uh, and social media as well? So um, my Facebook handle is at Emma O'Brien Photos with an S on the end. And then Instagram and Twitter is at Emma O'Brien Photo. Um, I know I'm breaking all the rules there with not having matching uh, social media <laughs> handles. The Facebook page got started way before everything else did. Sure. So yes, you can find me online there. And I do have, I've got my other Instagram page, which actually is also I'm just building, is at Dog Art Photography as well. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure to link to these in the show notes. Thank you so much, Emma, for making time for the Boca podcast today, for sharing your wonderful insight into photographing dogs. Thank you very much for having me. It's been wonderful being here. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>